I'm a recently minted business owner, having run B2B Better full-time since January 2023. And while I've supported countless sales outreach campaigns during my career as an in-house marketer, it wasn't until I started doing my own sales that I realized just how much thinking has to go into running an effective prospecting campaign. That's why I found SoPro's State of Prospecting 2023 report so useful. It's an up-to-date, practical guide on how to get the most from your outreach campaigns. It shares tips on how to improve deliverability rates, craft the perfect subject line, and what an effective follow-up campaign looks like, plus much, much more. And unlike a lot of B2B research reports that I come across, this one is grounded in real-world data, drawing on a data set of 49.5 million sent emails and insights from interviews with over 350 sales and marketing professionals from 82 different industries. If you touch prospecting in your business in any capacity, from owning campaigns to supporting sales, this is a must-read report. I highly recommend checking it out. Just head over to sopro.io forward slash B2B better and upskill yourself today. I'll also drop the link to the report in the description of this episode. I'm recording this introduction on the cusp of Meta launching its new Threads app, the Twitter killer. And I'm excited because Twitter was a really big part of my pandemic experience. It's where I was able to find a community of other marketers and really feel a sense of connection and I've been quite disappointed over the last you know six to twelve months as the app has taken the direction it's taken and knowing that a lot of my uh, Twitter friends are going to be migrating over to threads and trying it out I'm hopeful that we're going to be able to recapture some of that essence that really made uh, the bird app uh, a great experience I'm a little bit worried to be totally honest I'm a little bit worried that it's not going to be long before uh, threads gets totally swamped with these kind of quote-unquote thought leaders growth hackers who are just publishing vanilla generic trash ramping up their follower numbers and just totally drowning out the real meaningful conversations because you know if I've learned anything over the last you know three or four years of building out my profile on social media it's that it's quite easy to get to a large following without really saying anything of value or anything meaningful. But there are people out there who do have large followings that are incredibly well-deserved, and they're well-deserved because they have real-world practical experience that they are very generously sharing with uh, the, the wider world. And one of those people is Amanda Natividad, the guest of this week's uh, B2B Better episode. Amanda is just an amazing marketer, a wonderful human being, I've had the pleasure of actually interviewing her on B2B Better before, about 18 months ago. And we were just chatting in our DMs uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we thought it was time to have a round two to figure out how has she grown as a marketer since we last spoke, to understand how her views on content marketing have evolved, and also to take a little bit of a peek into the future on what generative AI means for us as B2B marketers. So I'm really excited for this episode. Amanda was incredibly gracious with her answers, and I'm sure that if you have anything to do with content marketing in your company, you will walk away with this episode with a ton of new ideas. So without further ado, here we go. Oh, what a great, what a great question. Um, hmm. How, how have I grown since we last spoke in? I think I've been able to home in on a couple of key ideas that have 
yielded great results for SparkToro as a brand and for myself as a brand. For those of you that don't know, SparkToro is an online research tool that allows you to get a bunch of information on your target customers, who they are, what they're talking about online, who they're following. It was set up by Rand Fishkin, uh, who also set up Moz many years ago. And Amanda is the VP of marketing over there. Um, really homing in on certain concepts like permissionless co-marketing, audience personas, and of course, zero-click content. These things are essentially just blog posts, right? Hopefully people will see that they are very thoughtful blog posts. But these have become, you know, sort of career highlights for me over the past year, year and a half, where all these things have led to further opportunities, whether it was in enhancing my content marketing 201 course or leading to on stage or main stage presentations at conferences to just leading to kind of entering the marketing zeitgeist, so to speak. I think um, one big moment for me personally was the first time I saw zero click content make its way into a marketing job description or somebody forwarded it to me and said, Hey, have you seen this? And I thought it was, I thought it was wild because it was a company I hadn't, I hadn't heard of. I didn't know anybody who worked there. So it wasn't like a friend who posted it or who put it in the job description. It was just a truly in the wild organic kind of experience. So I think getting to, I feel like it's just, I feel like it's weird to say getting to drive these kinds of experiences, but seeing kind of the fruits of it has been, has been pretty tremendous and pretty cool to see that people are listening. <laughs> people are listening to some of these ideas. Amanda mentioned a term a couple of times then, zero click content, which I just want to hone in on for a second. Because if you spend any time on social media and in B2B marketing circles, zero click content and Amanda Nativadad are synonymous with one another. But if you don't know what it is, it's essentially this idea that you're creating content natively in platform that offers valuable standalone insights without the need to click away to somewhere else. So, you know, it's very common to see B2B brands on somewhere like LinkedIn. Uh, they share a little bit of a teaser on something interesting and then they ask you to click away onto their blog to get the full package. Amanda's saying that, no, we need to meet the recipient of this information where they are. We need to give them the information in the format that they are already in the mindset of consuming. We need to create that content natively for that platform. We need to create zero click content. It sounds like a simple idea, but it's a really powerful one because it almost goes against everything that you see the majority of B2B marketing firms do when it comes to content marketing, which is all about just trying to drive traffic to the place that we can control, right? The place that we want our audience to be spending time on. When in fact, that just introduces a whole bunch of friction uh, when it comes to the user experience. Zero click content is just one of the ideas that Amanda has come up with on how modern day B2B companies should market themselves through content. She's also got some really novel thoughts on how do we discover what kind of content that we want to be creating. It's all well and good saying that we should be creating content in a certain way, but how do we kind of figure out what the idea is in the first place? How do we really drill in on the things that our customers care about? You know, I've worked in companies before where getting access to end customers and actually having a conversation with them to do some research is incredibly difficult. You know, if you work in a large enterprise solutions provider and you're selling into 
you know, CTOs at Fortune 500 companies, it's very unlikely they're going to give you 30 minutes of their time so they can tell you what blogs they follow, right? And so this was the question that I put to Amanda, you know, in these kind of contexts where it's a bit tricky to actually get in front of the end users of your product as a marketer or the end customers, how do we go about discovering what it is that they care about, which in turn will fuel a modern day content strategy? Here's what she had to say. So I think this requires a high degree of empathy, empathy and scrappiness, right? So I think I think the best way to really get tap into what your customers, what your audience is thinking about is to go where they already are, consume the content they're consuming, and just try to see their world through their lens, right? So I did, I, I kind of, I did a lot of this um, during my time at Fitbit when I was on their B2B team. And sure, yes, of course, I talked to a lot of customers. But even before that, it was, you know, I, one thing that actually like very much shifted my mindset on how I thought about our customers was there was this time I was, I was leading the RFP process to hire a new PR agency for us. And it was just something that this agency said in passing that I really, like my brain lit up and they, they mentioned, and it wasn't even a key part of their presentation. They just kind of mentioned it in conversation where they said, yeah, a lot of people in your target audience of HR and benefits leaders, they read Psychology Today, Entrepreneur Magazine, um, and you know HR Executive Magazine. And I thought, that's a really interesting collection of publications. Like HR Executive Magazine, that's not surprising, right? They're HR and benefits leaders, of course. Like that's a that's an influential trade publication. Absolutely, I should I should have already been reading that. But for Psychology Today, an entrepreneur, that made me think huh, they really do think of themselves as like entrepreneurs who are in the business of people. Like they, it's their job to market their corporate wellness programs or benefits programs to people and figure out how to track ROI of it all or the value of investment in it all. So that completely shifted how I thought about our customers and that then I was reading these these magazines or at least keeping up with the headlines, right? And thinking about like, okay, if I'm thinking of my audience as, you know what, CEOs of HR and thinking about how they how they tap into ROI, how they sell up, how they sell out, then these people are in the they're they're running mini businesses within companies. So what kind of content can I create that helps them power their small business? Like almost anyone listening to this podcast, I get a ton of outreach emails. People trying to pitch a guest spot, trying to sell me software, inviting me to an event. There is a lot of noise to filter through. It's not that the message isn't relevant most of the time. It's often that I'm just busy and replying slips down my to-do list. My friends over at SoPro analyzed almost 50 million prospecting emails and found that 70% of people give up if their first outreach email goes unanswered. And this means that they could be losing out on up to 76% of total leads. So what does the ideal prospecting sequence look like? It's four emails, the intro, the nudge, the referral, and the breakup. 
you can learn exactly what goes into these four emails and exactly how to reply when a prospect gets back to you with an objection by downloading SoPro's State of Prospecting 2023 report. Check it out by visiting sopro.io forward slash B2B better or clicking the link in the description of this episode. There is a huge amount of crap content out there. It doesn't matter what market that you're playing in. Odds are that you are totally saturated when it comes to um, generic vanilla uh, commodity content. And I think this is only going to get worse as ChatGPT and other generative AI tools really start to become part of the uh, part of the part of the mainstream. So I wanted to get Amanda's take on what it takes for a company, for a marketer to create differentiated, unique, compelling content that really stands out from the crowd. Here's what she had to say. This is this is tough because it, it'll be different for every kind of business and every kind of sort of unique expertise or product offering that you have. Um, I think there are two ways that I look at it. I think one way you can differentiate is through your point of view, right? Like, um, like it's not like, it's like think of challenging the status quo, but maybe like a step above that. Like, yeah, challenge the status quo, but why are you the one who's challenging the status quo? Like what experience do you have? What kind of data do you have? What expertise do you have? that allows you to challenge the status quo in this particular way? And how can you think more broadly about this? Like, how can you make this more broadly applicable across your content program? So it's less of a, hey, let's do this blog post that is that challenges this point of view and thinking more about like, well, what's a suite of topics that we have a strong point of view on because of the kind of business we run or because of the person writing it because of their specific experience? So. As a small example, I think um, part, I think part of what makes my writing unique is the fact that I usually write from firsthand experience. I'll bring in other examples um, when I can, if I know them well. But usually, I speak to like the things that I know well because I've tested them or because I've lived them. So that's one. I think one other way people can differentiate is through the data or specific kind of expertise they have. So not so much status quo, but like what unique data or research, maybe it's that, what what unique data or research do you as a company have or you as a team have that's more or less unique to you, right? I think where, uh, where you know, my boss, Rand Fishkin, does a great job of this at SparkToro is he, a couple times of, a couple times per year, will run some original research. Like most recently... Um, he and Steve Lamar of Really Good Metrics partnered up on a, on a study that on, on an experiment, really like a large scale experiment on dark social, like exactly how much attribution are we losing when we click away from the platform or when people click from the social media platforms to our websites. And they, they did this experiment across like over a thousand participants um, tracked it across different kinds of social interactions. So like Instagram DMs and Instagram link in bio, right? Or like 
tweets and links in the Twitter bio or like and DMs, things like that, that like got pretty granular. And I say that's on one hand, that's unique to SparkToro or Rand Fishkin in that data is kind of what we do. But anybody else can do it too. Right. Somebody else, another, another like marketing analytics company, they can run their own research on this. And I think what's great about this is that we now we as a company, we would love that. Right. Like some people might feel like, oh, but I want to be the only one. But we're more like, no, like here's how we did it. We have over a thousand participants in this study, tracked like hundreds or you know, over a thousand, you know, links. It'd be great if more people did this kind of stuff. And it'd be great if like we as like a broader marketing community had a lot of data points to pull from. So I think tapping into what you're good at with data and research and then using that to drive your content program is also super impactful. I totally agree with Amanda here. Original research is an incredibly powerful tool for a company, for a marketing team to have cut through. One of the most successful marketing campaigns that I've ever run in my career from a lead generation perspective was a state of industry report when I worked in the broadcast sector where we simply uh, ran a thousand person consumer study on how they were consuming video content and we interviewed a bunch of executives from different broadcasters, rights owners, rights holders um, on their perspectives and we married them together into a 20 page report called the state of broadcast or, or whatever it was. We packaged it up with a press event. We rented a room in a hotel. We invited a bunch of the media where we revealed the results for the first time. And we also invited a couple of the couple of those executive contributors to do some live Q&A. And this report generated for us over 800 leads in the first 12 months of its publication, which may not sound like a lot, but when you're selling into large enterprise media rights owners and rights holders, broadcasters, you know, leagues, football teams, what have you, your total addressable market is relatively small. So getting 800 leads off this one piece of content was a really, really big deal. And in fact, that report continued to pay dividends for the three or four years uh, since its publication in that it continues to be cited by the media and by other companies as a real uh, legitimate piece of research on where the industry was and where it's going. So don't discount the power of original research. I think that you can also uh, really see its compounding effects if you can package original research into some sort of recurring cadence. What I mean by that is take a state of industry report. Instead of just doing a one and done campaign, why not package it into a quarterly campaign where every single quarter you're reporting on the same questions, but you're giving updated data and then you're cementing yourself in the minds of your prospective customers and the industry that if you want to know where our industry and where our space is going, you need to be report reading the state of industry quarterly report from company X uh, because they're the ones that have got their uh, finger on the pulse. They're the ones that are tracking this, right? Now, the important thing to remember is this type of activation, this original research, you don't require a huge team or a huge amount of budget in order to uh, run a project like this. In fact, this report that I mentioned a moment ago that that I did in my previous company, we only had a team of three people. 
um, which funnily enough is the same number of people that Amanda has over at Spark Toro. There's only three people in that company in totality uh, and they still managed to get this original research uh, out of the gate. So I wanted to put that to Amanda, you know, working in a small team with limited budget, limited resource, how can you create an effective, compelling content marketing program when working on a shoestring? Here's what she had to say. So I, I'll say, maybe think about your content in seasons, right? Think of different kinds of programs in seasons across the given year and be very cognizant that you're playing the long game, right? So what I mean by that is, taking a laser focus to each of your content channels. So maybe first quarter of the year or the first couple of months of the year, you focus on your blog. Like you focus on creating, you know, quality content as defined by maybe you go after some target keywords that have decent search volume and maybe you create content that speaks to your customers' pain points and where your business fits in. So you tie that content quality to overall business goals. Maybe you start there. Next quarter or the next couple of months, then you choose a social media channel to get really good at, right? And, you know, maybe you don't optimize for virality because it's really hard to do and not very sustainable. But then you, could, then you start to think about like, how can you repurpose or repackage that content to maybe be native to that platform? And so you're posting there. Maybe even if you have if you have a couple of formats that work well across platforms, maybe you could have that content serve double duty. So something like um, something like text and graphic carousels work very well both on Instagram and LinkedIn. So maybe that's like an area that you kind of start with for uh, next. So once you have some proficiency in social media, and proficiency meaning like you're seeing some engagement, a little bit of growth. Hopefully, like, you know, you're you're seeing something that you like, right? Like, hopefully engagement is not tanking. You're not losing followers. But also being realistic, right? Like, the average person is not excited to follow a brand on social media unless it's like a consumer-facing brand for which there's like immediate payoff, right? Like, like a lot of people aren't excited to follow B2B brands. But it doesn't mean that it's not valuable, right? Like, I think there are a lot of B2B buyers or prospects that are checking these social media channels to see if you're even active there. If they go like, oh, I maybe maybe someone's like, I've never heard of SparkToro. Like, are they on Instagram? And they go to Instagram and if they see like, you know, no posts at all, they might be like, Does, is this company even in business? Like, okay, that's weird, right? So maybe maybe a measure of success early on would be like, are we posting? <laughs> like, is there content? Right. And then maybe after that, the next quarter or the next content season, then you're thinking about maybe it's another social media channel or maybe it's a new format. Maybe you're thinking about a webinar series, a YouTube video series, podcast, right? Something that is essentially based on some legacy content that you that you've already built up. And so hopefully every couple of months you're launching something new while keeping the existing things going. Like hopefully you kind of have that you're, you're essentially creating a flywheel for yourself where at the end of the year, then you look back and go, huh, we drove, we, we did a couple blog posts that drove some meaningful traffic. We've grown our audience by this much. And we launched a new webinar series that drives like a couple hundred new leads per month. 
right? So then you're taking that more holistic view that that look back where you're thinking, oh, I'm a, I am more prolific than I than I worry that I was. Um, and I say this because this is really what we do at Sparktoro. Like I sometimes people will ask how we're so prolific. And there are a lot of days where I'm like, really? Like I only wrote a couple blog posts this year. Like I don't feel prolific. But when I really when I zoom out and look at my own work, I realize, oh well, I did repurpose that blog post into like five different LinkedIn posts and it, it looks like new content, but I'm just kind of finding a different way to say the same message. So it seems like I'm prolific. So maybe the answer I'm giving to sum up is think of your content in seasons and use that to appear more prolific than you actually are. To round out this interview, I wanted to get Amanda's take on what she considers to be hype in B2B marketing circles. I had a feeling she was going to say what she ended up saying, and she proved me right. So here she is. I think right now, AI is mostly hype. I think it is something that we should learn about and that we should be cognizant of and keep an eye on and understand how it works. But do I think it's changing lives today or changing marketing functions today? No, I don't, I don't think it is. And I think people who are saying... Like, oh, people are hiring for AI whisperers and, or like, what is it? Prompt engineers. I'm not denying it, right? I'm not denying that that exists, but is there a viable job market for that? Are, are companies, are all companies right now going, we got to build a prompt engineering team? Like, no, they're not. I think it's a fad at the moment. Some people are hiring. It's going to die out eventually. Um Maybe it's I, 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 it's helpful to like think about how to engineer prompts. I don't think it's a skill set that is going to be valuable for very long. I think that's going to burn out pretty soon. Um, and it's not to say that AI won't impact marketing. I think longer term, we're probably going to see things like, you know, those like really crappy chatbots that we get on a lot of websites. I think those are going to be a lot better. And I'm, I'm hopeful for that. Like, I think that's I think that could be a great thing. I think it'll be t- it could be tough for um, for beginner or novice uh, writers, right? People who are still charging, like the people who are making their making their income from charging like one cent per word on, on their blog post, I think those people are going to have to level up because at that point, at that capacity, AI can replace that kind of blog post. Um, however, anyone who's saying they're using they're using chat GPT or generative AI to create their marketing strategies is lying. They're just, they're lying. <laughs> or they have a terrible strategy. But I'll say, would I love to go up against a market a competitor who is running their strategy based on ai prompts bring it i would love that i would absolutely love to go head to head with chat gpt on strategy and that's it for this episode of b2b better thank you so much again for tuning in and thank you to amanda for coming on and sharing her hard-won wisdom on modern day b2b content marketing If you want to learn more about what I do here at B2B Better, you can visit my website, www.b2b-better.com. Essentially, what we do is we help B2B tech companies build profitable marketing programs. 
So you can learn all about that on my website. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so, so much if you could leave a rating, a review. It really helps a solo content creator like myself uh, create more content like this. You can also subscribe to make sure that you are in the know when the next episode of B2B Better is live. I'm really excited for the next one. It's with uh, Gia Laudi from Forget the Funnel. We talked all about customer-led growth. It's a really great interview. Um, So make sure you subscribe if you want to know exactly when that comes out. But until next time, thanks very much. 